dressing room, why didn't you tell them about to come on live? We're live! We're live, we're live, and hi! My name is Paul E. Dangerously, and where are we going? We're going now. We're going to ringside with Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone, and I just got started talking. Why? Happy New Year, and welcome to another edition of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by... The one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick... Traditionally, the holidays are a slow time in pro wrestling. I've said it the last couple weeks, and I think it's pretty much still that way. What do you have to bring us from the news desk this week, sir? Well, I figured it's New Year's. Why not recap 2016? Do the very first Retro Wrestling Podcast Awards. So, we're going to hand out some awards here today. Female Wrestler of the Year. Well, that would be Charlotte. That would be Charlotte Flair. She has done it all already. Accomplished stuff that took her father 15 years to do so winning the belt a lot though yeah yeah absolutely i know her uh promo skills have improved a lot she's improved in the ring slightly once she goes through bailey though i mean this is the problem on both shows there's just not a big pool of contenders so yeah i don't know where you go after bailey but yeah she's the best by by far nxt debut of the year nakamura you agree or disagree? Oh, yeah. It seems like that was two years ago, but yeah, he debuted this year. So, yes, definitely. And uh, NXT return of the year, I gave to Mickey James. I would go Mickey James. I mean, do you count bringing these TNA people over as comebacks? I mean, no, I'm counting them as debuts. Okay. NXT comeback of the year. Sure. There's uh, Bill Goldberg in the on the main roster that I would put ahead yeah, of I'm him. Yeah, we're strictly, we're starting on the basics. NXT, then we're going to work our way up on the main roster. So. But yeah. Yeah, it was great to have her back. I mean, I would put maybe Brian Kendrick as a close second, I guess. Uh, yeah, I would too. Trash Talkers, Smack Talkers of the Year, I gave to Enzo and Cass. Well, that would go to Conor McGregor, in you my think opinion. Conor McGregor? Yes. I mean, stepping outside the world of pro wrestling, no, I'm not. Enzo's great on the mic, but he's doing this. He's doing a lot of comedy stuff. And yeah. Honestly, I think a couple of the best promos were Bill Goldberg's promos. And that's, that says a lot because he was never known for his mic work. So, but he only cut like two of them. So, uh, but yeah, that's, that's a good pick for in WWE. I would probably, instead of Enzo though, I'd probably pick Kevin Owens ahead of him. Okay. Return of the year. I have as the one and only Bill Goldberg as being the top return of the year when you saw quite a few, believe it or not, that we'll get into. Oh, it's unbelievable that Bill Goldberg is uh, back and uh, that he got the reaction that he did, but he's been booked well. He was protected. I still don't agree with the finish of the match at Survivor Series, but it was a good way to hide him. So It's going to turn into something more, hopefully. Retirement of the year I give to the Dudley boys. Yeah, but I don't. I think this is just another wrestling retirement. They'll be back. So, See, I wanted to say that, but they are very comfortable sitting home and, and running their training school up in Philly. So I see them. I don't see them coming back. I, I think this might be a full-blown retirement. Yeah, sorry. I got to say Daniel Bryan's retirement. I mean. You got Daniel Bryan over, over my Dudleys? Uh, yeah, because they can still come back, like I said. WWE's not going to clear Daniel Bryan to wrestle. Okay. And just the whole that whole episode, the whole scene was it was pretty powerful. It it it, yeah. it was real, you know, it was real. So Yeah. And I thought it was better than the Edge speech by a mile. 
as far as retirement speeches go. So, yeah, I'm going to pick Daniel Bryan for retirement of the year, although I don't like retirement of the year as a category. I don't want anyone to ever retire. No. Wrestle forever. You have to realize that there will come a time in which you have to hang it up. So, match of the year, I'm going with AJ Cena, SummerSlam. Oh, yeah, we discussed that last week in the SummerSlam match. It was the two biggest stars in the company uh, with a really hot crowd, and uh, it was a really good match. Yeah. It really delivered, and that's why I would put it ahead of Nakamura and um, Sami Zayn or uh, a lot of other matches. You know, a lot of the Sasha and Charlotte matches could be contenders for this, but it was the biggest match of the year. I mean, by hype and by execution. Tag team of the year, the New Day. Yeah, I think they just win by default. You mean only in the WWE? Because no, outside of that, I, oh, it the can, young bucks have to be. The young bucks or the Hardys are probably light years ahead, or the revival in NXT way ahead of the new. The New Day had a terrible year, I think. I mean, yes, they did hold these belts forever, but they lost every non-title match. They had really bad promos with the old day segment or the time machine with the vaude villains. Really, really bad stuff. They almost became they almost became a parody of themselves in a way. Right. They they became I don't see them making it out of two thousand seventeen without breaking up. Well, they're already teasing the big E to separate Big E from this group, so yeah. I imagine Big E getting split off, but I don't see Kofi and they don't have any plans for Kofi and Xavier Woods, so I think those two will stick together. But I mean, they need they need more Singles wrestlers and Big E would certainly fit the type of wrestler that they would want. So, uh, but as far as tag team of the year, I'd say uh, you know going outside the WWE, the Young Bucks. I mean, they're the most well-known tag team in the world that doesn't work for the WWE. I would I would venture to say that they're more well-known than the New Day in just general wrestling talk. So, I wanted to throw uh, throw a bone out there to. Uh, since you brought up the Hardys, uh, recreation of the year I'm giving to Matt Hardy for, for oh Matt. repackaging yeah. yeah broken Matt Hardy broken has Matt ma- Hardy's made TNA relevant again, and it's a it's a unique character. It's the best work he's ever done because he's never been given anything like this or he's never created anything like this. And I mean he he carries he's the only thing going on in TNA that anyone cares about. So yeah. that that says a lot when you. Even the champion of your company doesn't get as much as... I don't even know who the champion of TNA is right now, but I know who Broken Matt Hardy is. WWE debut of the year, AJ Styles. At the Rumble. I think debuts at the Rumble are kind of... Yeah, I. It was exciting to see him. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, when you go back and... I mean, the greatest debut of all time, I think, Chris Jericho interrupts the Rock segment yeah. on Raw because it's focused. It's yeah. not... Just a buzzer goes off and someone walks down the ramp. So, yes, he's, I mean, he's the wrestler of the year, so it can't get any bigger as far as debuts go. But right. could it have been better instead of debuting him at the Rumble, maybe have him interrupt John Cena doing a promo? I mean, everyone would instantly compare it to that Jericho debut, but at the same time, it puts you on a, I just, I like debuts to take place outside the Rumble. Right. 2016, shocking moment of the year. Shane McMahon's return. Because that place went nuts. Uh, the shocking moment of the year has to be Goldberg defeating Brock Lesnar in less than two minutes. Really? Yeah, I mean, 
the company's still run by the McMahons, so having Shane McMahon show up isn't that far out of the realm of possibility. But this man, Goldberg, was out of the ring for 12 years. Brock Lesnar had t- destroyed everybody in the roster for the last two years, and then all of a sudden he gets beat by a 50-year-old man. I mean, that's one of the most shocking things. Mainstream media. I mean, this was that big of a story yes, where Shane McMahon was not, outside of pro wrestling, Shane McMahon's return would not be interesting. But Brock Lesnar had, I mean, with the suspension from USADA and the UFC and then having Goldberg come in and beat him, that was a huge a huge deal. Um, so I'm going to pick that as my most shocking moment. Of okay. The All right. And last but certainly not least, breakout star of the year. I'm giving it to my boy and my friend, James Ellsworth. Well, sadly, I I think that, that that little experiment is over. Who really broke out this year? I would say I would give it to The Miz. I think The Miz is doing the best work of his career. Uh, well, he's had that big the big uh, mouthpiece going on with... Uh, with uh, Renee Dan- Young. Well, Renee Young and Daniel Bryan. So. Oh, that promo he cut on on Daniel Bryan was probably the best promo of the year just in general on talking smack and then but not only that to have Maurice back as his valet his whole attitude is different he's he's performing in the ring at a much higher level I think uh the the feud he had with Dol- he made Dolph a Dolph Ziggler feud interesting so I think he had a real cuz I had written him off I told you a year ago or something that you know he headlined WrestleMania 27, beat John Cena. You know, I just felt like his career... It couldn't go anywhere. Well, it was just on autopilot. I mean, yeah. he's just going to collect a paycheck, but he's going to be low comedy jobber guy, basically. Yeah. But he turned it all around, and uh, especially because I thought the way WrestleMania was booked so wonky this past year was Zack Ryder winning the Intercontinental title. Is he, when he dropped it the next night to The Miz, I thought, this is a really bad idea because I actually thought Zack Ryder had that huge moment at WrestleMania and they took that away, but I'm glad that they did because The Miz picked it up and really ran with it. Of the secondary titles, I mean, Roman Reigns doesn't even carry the U.S. title, you know, facing forward. It's slung over his shoulder like an afterthought. Yeah. At least The Miz brings... He loves the Intercontinental title, you know. He's going to promote it and and be a fighting champion. So that's who I would say is the the breakout star of 2016. And since there were so much more shocking, unbelievable moments, here's just a few more. I'm shocked TNA made it another year. They never... It's one of the... It's the real streak. I We always talk about The Undertaker at WrestleMania or Goldberg or... Any of these other kinds of streaks, this is the real greatest streak of yeah. all time that this company has survived so much, has survived three television deals in three years, basically. State of Tennessee after them. All the creditors coming to get them. They yeah. always make it out. They are like the guy, you know, the heel that always escapes the cage just before yeah. he can get his comeuppance, yeah. you know. That is, yeah, that is truly remarkable. Uh, another shocker, Damian Sandow getting fired from WWE. I did not see that one coming because it was right off the heels of Miz and Miz Dow kind of thing, and it was it was hot, man. The crowd loved it. They really wanted, yeah, I mean, the fans really wanted this guy to succeed, but... And so to him, him to get thrown on the chopping block with Hornswoggle and so many others, I was 
really shocked by that. Well, especially when they when they did this the brand extension. Yeah. And they split this roster up. You would think, oh, we need as many bodies as we can get. But then when they let him and like Wade Barrett go and Alberto Del Rio, I mean, all different circumstances, but three guys that were at one point in the main event. I mean, in I mean, some Ryback, ways. Ryback, Ryback. Oh, yeah. Ryback quitting. I mean, then you have uh, Cody right Rhodes. Here, Cody Rhodes. That was the biggest one to me for a person who, who just walked away. Well, and, and then Cody, being Cody really Rose. cunty about his last name or whatever, not letting him use that on the indie circuit, that is so that's so low. I mean, just a really typical, disgraceful stuff that, yeah. that, that, that this company, as much as I love this company uh, for the product it produces, they do a lot of terrible things. And, and not letting this guy use his last name, his, well, it's not his real last name, but it's you know his stage name, not letting him just use that. Yeah. You know, they're not going to lose a dime if he is Cody Rhodes wrestling somewhere. So just really, really low blow stuff from the company. Yeah. Um, I have two more. Uh, Randy Orton getting busted wide open by Brock Lesnar. That was shocking in and of itself because that was a lot of blood. Well, and looking back on it, it was uh, sort of wasted. Yeah. I mean, it was just sort of wasted because they turn around and do the thing with Goldberg in November. There's yeah. never... Uh, Orton and Brock met again at a house show in Chicago, but they never had another televised match this year. That was the entire thing. That was the culmination. So and if you weren't at that house show, you didn't get to see anything. Yeah, not only that, but I think it it really cooled off Randy Orton. He was a huge face going into that match, and then yeah. coming out of it, he joins the Wyatt family, and it's just sort of uh, they just sort of gave up on him midstream when I thought he had a lot of momentum going. Yeah, I agree. I still think he should have lost that match, but in the fashion that he lost it, it just sort of head-scratching booking, but they do that. I mean, they this year, 2016 is much... They put on a lot of great products in the ring, but there was a lot of head-scratching booking going on. And this is my very last one, and I'm going to hand it over to you for any other things of the year, uh, drugs in wrestling. I think Paige, who's actually tonight supposed to be backstage... We're taping this on Monday... She's supposed to be backstage at Raw tonight, so she is uh, back. But I think that, well, and the double standard that exists between Brock fails a USADA test. Oh, and then they were, so part-timers aren't, part-timers don't have to pass the drug test. Correct. That seems extremely unfair. Well, I mean, you went from, you went from Roman Reigns to Paige to Eva Marie, who Eva Marie at one point in time was getting a pretty big build on SmackDown as a, a female competitor and getting caught. And apparently that was over nothing but cost her up for her having the flu. Well, yeah, but this is also, that excuse is also what Paige used about, the company doesn't disclose it. So this yeah. is, you're only going to hear one side of the story. Right. So we never know. This company that, that you know, is trying to make safety such a priority when they they make Daniel Bryan retire. They won't let Sting come back and wrestle. They won't let you know. Now we got to take concussions. We got to take health seriously. Okay, you take it seriously, but then you let part timers come in there. They can be doped up. You know, you could. I mean, Randy Orton risked. Randy Orton, who's also had drug violations in the past, is in there getting his head split open by a guy that you know failed a drug test from another company. Right. So how much do you really value safety? It's just a hypocritical thing. Um, outside of those, outside of those minor violations this year, the company overall with drug, you know, suspensions wasn't that bad. No, but I mean, with 
with Randy Orton getting busted open around the exact same time Brock failed his UFC drug test, that shined a light, which right around the corner, then Roman Reigns, which shined a light. Now this with Paige shined a light. Oh, I forgot Roman Reigns. Well, so, thank, I mean, that was one of those drug suspensions that really helped us because had he not been suspended, I think the push would still be in full effect. Yeah. He'd still have that belt today and, or the universal belt or whatever. And so, I mean, it just kind of, uh, it was the right people at the right time to make the light shine on, on the possibility of, okay, yeah, you do have a drug policy, but wait, why is this guy allowed to compete when he failed a UFC drug test and so on and so forth? Because of this this clarification that part-timers aren't subject to the drug testing, I mean, now you get into a gray area, well, what is part-time? I mean, couldn't technically at this point John Cena be called a part-timer? Yeah. So now the biggest star in your company doesn't even have to take a test. Yeah. What about, I mean, The Undertaker? All these guys, Goldberg? Yeah. Guys that just show up out of the blue or guys that are off TV for a while, I mean... They didn't define what part-time is, really. So now I think that's going to be you. Now I feel like with their big stars that they have a lot invested in, you're never going to see them get a get another failure, basically, because they can just say, oh, he's part-time yeah, or whatever. He doesn't work every single show, so he's part-time. So that's it on my 2016, 2017 predictions. You will see Ronda Rousey in WWE ring. I you- still don't see it, no. You will I, see a shocking return of another WCW star. Well, who's left? You will see <laughs> Nakamura versus AJ in the WWE ring, which is what all of New Japan Wrestling, like myself, fans are dying to see that match again. And you will still see Charlotte Flair owning the women's division. So there's my predictions for 2017. What about you? I think we will see Finn Balor come back from his injury and uh, probably retake that universal title. I think Jericho will be gone after WrestleMania to go on tour with his band. Uh, so he's going to be done for a while. I think Goldberg's done after WrestleMania. I think Raw could be cut down to two hours again. I think that the SmackDown formula has worked better for them. It beat them last week. Now, I know that that was John Cena's return and the tag titles were on the line in a match. Well, actually, all the belts were on the line uh, on SmackDown, so that was a heavily promoted show. But I think SmackDown's the better show. It's two hours. It's more concise. There's less filler. I just think that Raw could be cut down. We could lose that third hour that, you know, now we're like, we're heading into like seven years into this three-hour era, and yeah. I, I just think it's it's time to let it go. I'm not sure that the cruiserweights are going to continue to be on Raw. I think that that experiment is heading... and burned. I think that they could be moved to SmackDown or just totally kept on 205 Live except for these paper, except for the big four pay-per-views. Yeah. And that's pretty much all... All I've got, I think you'll see uh, Samoa Joe and Nakamura on the roster before the year's out in 2017. Oh, you will see me make the list of Jericho in 2017. Is that right? Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Well, the list is getting longer by the day. couple of other news notes from the week before we start our review for Clash of the Champions 15 from 1991. 
After Raw tonight, they're debuting a new show called Bring It to the Table, which is a lot like Pardon the Interruption on ESPN. It'll be JBL, Paul Heyman, and some radio guy from New York that I've never heard of. Uh, they'll be sitting there, and it'll be a rundown on the, on the corner of the screen, and they'll just go through each topic and give quick-fire responses. So an interesting idea. I don't know. I don't know how long that'll last. Or I love having Paul Heyman doing something like that because Paul Heyman can speak and tell it like it is, and people want to listen. So he's the best. He's the best wrestling mind on the planet. I do believe, in my opinion, Jim Cornette's up there. But uh, I think Paul Heyman has the best wrestling mind on the planet as far as promos, managing all this stuff besides the wrestling. Yeah. And then also, next year, WrestleMania, what are we going into? 34? Not four. The one after Orlando, 2018, Tuesday, is expected to be named for New Orleans. They're going back to New Orleans already. So we will probably get to go to another WrestleMania, two in a row. Two in a row. So they'll be back at the Superdome in 2018, and I think that's great because I really enjoyed WrestleMania 30. I thought that... That's a great town to do a WrestleMania. I thought the Superdome, too, is, a, is an excellent venue, and that show really delivered. I yeah. mean, I've only seen WrestleMania 27 in person, so I don't have a lot to compare it to, but uh, WrestleMania 30 was excellent, and the city was wonderful, and uh, I'm glad that they're going back there, not somewhere far, far away where we won't be able to go. So, Do you see Atlanta in the future anytime ever again with Atlanta getting a new stadium? Yes, I definitely see with the new stadium, the state-of-the-art stadium. And that's what they were doing for a while with WrestleMania. They were basically taking it to new stadiums there for like a stretch of like five or six years, like the one in Seattle, the one in Arizona, the one in Houston. It was always whoever had the newest stadium, usually like about a year removed from the Super, like the San Francisco one. Yeah. I mean, the Dallas one, it took them a few years to get to Dallas, but... Yeah, that's what they love new stadiums and they love setting attendance records. And if they can set those attendance records early and then not have to ever go back, and you can always just say, we put 100,000 people in there or whatever. So I'm, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, assuming that this year, you know, this WrestleMania delivers, we shall see, you know, what we get at, get in Orlando here in April. But those are my two pieces of news really from this week. Uh, do you have anything other than, uh, no, man. That's Our it. best of awards. That's it. Well, let's take a trip back in time, shall we? Let's go back to Knoxville, USA, spelled K-N-O-C-K-S, like hard knocks. We're knocking them out. Knoxville, Tennessee. Not like Mike Knox, but like Knox Knox. Yeah. In Knoxville, USA, for Clash of the Champions 15, it is June 12th, 1991, with 5,000 fans in attendance. And this was your pick for the week, Patrick. Now picture it. An almost five-year-old young Patrick Young finally getting to see his guy, beautiful Bobby Eaton, get his chance at the world heavyweight title. Wow. For free. For free. In front of a square box. Still had to turn the knob to change the channels, TV. <laughs> Back when cable was still like 15 channels. Exactly. And I, so, yes, I sat there about four feet from the screen and watched this match. 
still get goosebumps watching it and listen, thinking about it to this day. So, so yeah. A good crowd for this uh, main event to happen in Knoxville, you know, Smoky Mountain Wrestling, Jim Cornette, so many roots in Knoxville, in Knoxville for this match to happen. So uh, what turned out to be a very good show, and yeah. we'll, uh, we'll get into it. Missy Hyatt welcomes us, but is interrupted by Polly Dangerously, who takes the mic and then tosses to Tony and JR. He's not going to let no woman open this show. That's right. Tony is sporting blonde hair. A very rare blonde Tony Schiavone with JR for tonight's show. A very, in my opinion, I love JR and Tony sitting next to each other because I really think that they don't like each other. Even though JR's always said that they like each other fine, but I just... I think it's more Tony doesn't like JR than it is. I bet Tony is very... He, they probably didn't hate each other too much at this point, but after JR went to WWF and then became, I don't know, the voice of the wrestling generation and then Tony got left behind, I'm sure there's a lot of bitterness there. Yeah. Uh, the dark match we missed for this show was Curtis Rockwell defeating Michael Laney. Neither of these wrestlers have Wikipedia pages, so I can't tell you anything about them, but... It went like 15 minutes. It was a long opening match wow. compared to some of the matches on the actual main card. Yeah, because Austin was a Goldberg if there ever was one. Yeah, it was the, I guess someone from WWE was watching the network shortly before Survivor Series and saw the stunning Steve Austin match that we'll see later on. We get a six-man tag to start things off. The Freebirds with Bad Street. Yes. Bad Street being Brad Armstrong in a mask and a full body suit. So I guess... He lives on Bad Street, USA, because he, he is Bad Street. He is named after the street he lives on. He's the baddest man on the street. He's the baddest man on the street. He's a man in a mask. And they will take on the Young Pistols, formerly the, what were they called? The Wild-Eyed Southern Boys. This is, yes. We had to... Co- we had to rename them because of the racism. We had to rename racism. them because of the, uh, the... Confederate flag was not technically appreciated at this point in time in 1991, and so, so now they're just the Young Pistols. Uh, and so they were the Young Pistols for a little hop, skip, and a jump there, and immediately went right back to being the, uh, the Wild-eyed Southern Boys. But uh, it was just a short-lived name change. Which, of course, the Young Pistols, Steve Armstrong and Tracy Smothers. So this is a battle of the brothers here. With yeah. Bad Street, the other Armstrong, Steve. And, of course, the Young Pistols, for whatever reason, are paired with the Z-Man. Yeah, Tom Zink. I don't see how he fits into this equation. Anytime, all these WCW shows we watch, he just pops up. Tom Zink in will any, be in them. Yeah. In it, whatever... A real utility guy. Just whatever they need some baby face to fill in for. He and Brian Pillman were the were the working horse of uh, WCW in the early 90s. So Before the match starts, we get some graphics that give us a tale of the tape. That's very sports-like. Yeah. Very real. This your, is real wrestling Knox, stuff. Your Knoxville notes. <laughs> yes, with the their weight and some notes about the competitors. Yes. I actually think that's a good idea. It makes it feel... I think they should go back to doing it, really. I think on pay-per-views. I don't think on TV, but I really thought that was cool. Something that UFC's picked up and has been doing ever since. Well, so. because that's a boxing thing. Legit legit fighting, Patrick. Real fighting. Hey, listen. UFC's a work, just like any other sport. Z-Man and the Pistols, a clean house. The Pistols hit top rope clotheslines to make the Freebirds bail out to the floor. 
Hayes and Smothers tag in, and then the Pistols and Z-Man clear out the Freebirds again with Z-Man hitting a double clothesline. Then Badstreet gets in. He clotheslines the faces on... Badstreet clotheslines the faces off of the ramp, and then the Freebirds drop Tracy Smothers' throat first on the guardrail outside the ring. Everyone starts brawling again. The ref makes no attempt. The ref really lost control of this match. He did, yeah. He made no attempt to make sure the legal man on both teams... The ref for this, I believe, was... uh... Manager. Oh, whistle. Uh, Bill Alfonso, the referee. Fonzie. Fonzie was the ref, I think, for this match. Well, I'm glad he got into managing because... <laughs> he was a terrible ref. He did not care at all. So anyway, the Freebirds, after they clear house, are posing in the ring. And so the Pistols and the Z-Man get on the apron, the ring apron, and they all hit sunset flips and pin all of the Freebirds and Bad Street. All at the same time, Patrick. Yeah. A triple pin. Yeah. And there get were, the win. There were six shoulders down for the three count. <laughs> and they get the win in four minutes, 44 seconds. Not a very good showing for your boys here in uh, oh, Bad man. Street, USA. They're, they're letting me down. Especially when we saw the wild-eyed Southern boys have a great match on the last show that we watched. Not No, two shows ago. The last show you picked, uh, what was that? Great American Bash 92. 90. Or 91. 90. Oh, 90. 90. So just, oh, yeah, because they had changed to the pistols here. Yeah. So we'd seen what they're capable of. This was not a good show. It's probably because they were wrestling the Jimmy Jam and Michael Hayes here towards the end of the uh, the Freebirds era, I yeah. guess. Yeah. What did you think of this match? Uh, Four minutes, it was what it was. That's what I found myself saying a lot here on this mat- on this card. The matches didn't bother me. The quality of the matches did not bother me because they were so short. And I think that's something that is lost in wrestling now. Well, in Raw especially. Yeah. Where they still convey a message. The match, Most of these matches still convey a feud, advance a storyline, still get the job done. But it doesn't give you too much too fast. It doesn't drag. Yeah. You're not taking commercial breaks in the middle of the matches. Yeah. We get a Great American Bash sweepstakes commercial where you can win Ric Flair's watch. Gold, diamond, Rolex. And I will include that here on the uh, the podcast because I, I really enjoyed this commercial. Meet nature boy Ric Flair, WCW heavyweight champion. Truly a legend in his own time. Now you can live the life of legend Ric Flair when you enter the Flash and Bash sweepstakes. You could win a trip for four to the Great American Bash. Accommodations at the luxurious Omni Inner Harbor Hotel in Baltimore. $700 of spending money plus Ric's own personal diamond-studded Rolex watch. Or win one of 200 Ric Flair signature shirts to enter complete this famous quote. To be the legend and to be the best, it takes more than cash. I'm going to walk that out. Woo! Watch any World Championship Wrestling TV show June 1st through 23rd to hear the complete quote. Then send your name, address, age, phone number and completed quote to Flash and Bash Sweepstakes, Post Office Box 7888, Atlanta, Georgia 30357. Head to today for your chance to be a legend. If you don't win the trip, you can still see the Great American Bash 91 live only on pay-per-view Sunday, July 14th. Then we get, oh, your boy, it's Oz. Oz. (laughs) Kevin Nash. It's only his second appearance on TBS. They get a whole curtain uh, castle drape curtain thing to... Yeah. Make it look like he's coming from the land of Oz. He uh, he started off as uh, Vinny Vegas. Did Vinny Vegas for 
about six, seven months. Did Oz. Then went back to Finney Vegas. Then hung it up and said, forget it. I'm going to WWE. And the rest is history. The rest is history for one Kevin Nash. Oz's appearance here. I thought he was going to wrestle in the old man mask. They put this old man mask on him. And so it was very odd when he gets into the ring and then takes it off. Why would he? Di- and also, he dyed his hair silver. If you're just going to wear a mask with hair on it, because why- his colors were green and silver. Oh, he was just committed to matching. You had to be committed to the character. He's accompanied by the Great Wizard by his side. I wish I knew who played the Great Wizard. Yeah, here. I have no idea who this He's is. A very little man, yeah. also in a mask. He doesn't take his mask off though. He's in an old man mask as well. Yeah, when he gets into the ring, Oz does your little crazy eyes thing. <laughs> oh, I see everything. Johnny Rich is the jobber assigned to this match, and he is already in the ring. <laughs> Johnny doesn't last long. Nash hits a shoulder block, a clothesline, and then goes for a pin, but picks Johnny Rich back up. He says, no, no, no. I'm not going to win the match that easily. He picks him up, gives him the big boot, and then hits his finisher, which is like a spinning razor's edge drop botch thing is what I called it because he just it's he a, lifts him up like a razor's edge. It's a razor's edge, then it turns into like one of those shock put throws. Have you ever seen a shock put throw? Yeah, he spins it? around. He spins and then he just releases him. him. No, he just releases him and lets this guy helicopter down to the ground. Is it supposed to be like the tornado in the Wizard of Oz? Is that what they're I, going I'm, for? I'm guessing you might be onto something there. Very strange here, but yes, Oz gets the win, pins Johnny Rich here with one foot and gets the win in one minute, 28 seconds. What did you think of Oz here? This was what it was. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, that is the phrase of this show. We get a promo for PN News. He is coming soon. I can't Yo, wait. baby, yo, baby, yo. My name is News and I'm on the attack. Let the sucker in. Let me put him on his back. Yo, baby, yo, baby, yo. Yo, baby, yo, baby, yo. Oh. <laughs> and I, he makes Vanilla Ice seem like the world's greatest rapper. Dan Spivey is out next. He's going to take on Big Josh, who's in his flannel with a stick. An axe handle with no axe on it. Look who Big Josh was. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's Matt Bourne. That's what I was thinking. The doinkster. That was. Back when he was serious, before he had to, I guess the lumberjack industry took a hit and he had to turn into a clown. With the beard, I couldn't really tell with the full length beard, but I was like, that's Matt Bourne. Yes. So, so. Big Josh Doink, he gets into the ring, throws hard punches that make zero contact. He missed uh, Mr. Spivey's head by a mile with his punches. Spivey lands a big boot, then Big Josh hits a snap suplex, but. Spivey sort of no-sells it and beats Big Josh to his feet and then clotheslines him. Big Josh hits a nice belly-to-back suplex. Then Kevin Sullivan walks down to the ring with a crutch and decks Big Josh with it. He splinters that thing over the back of his back. But Big Josh no-sells getting hit with a crutch. Yeah. Gets German suplex by Spivey, and Spivey gets the win in 2 minutes, 48 seconds. This was a good match. Well, this was actually see. This is what I said. What I meant earlier about quick matches that advance the storyline. Yeah. If the match is just going to end in that fuck finish, the first let's just get to it. The first two were kind of like, oh well, but this one really 
drew my attention. This one was like, ooh, I want to, you know, I want to see what's, what the outcome's going to be. Yeah, so, what will this lumberjack do? Yeah. The WCW top 10 rankings are out. Do you miss rankings in pro wrestling? I do miss rankings. Now, see, when TNA tried it a few years ago, I was not a big fan of that. No. And I don't... I don't think they have enough wrestlers to do it now. And you Pro know, Wrestling Illustrated still does their rankings. But well, I understand that, but I mean, it's not like the WWE. It's not like World Wrestling Entertainment uses that to yeah. like actually make matches. Right. Do you want to know the top ten rankings? Sure, I absolutely do. Want N- to know? Number ten, we have Stunning Steve. Nine is One Man Gang. Eight, Barry Windham. Seven, Arn Anderson. Six, Sting. Five, Nikita Koloff. Four, Bobby Eaton. Three, El Gigante. Two, the great Muda. Number one, Lex Luger, and your champion tonight is Ric Flair. And there is your top ten plus the champion in your heavyweight rankings. Next, That's a good class, actually. That's a, that's a, uh, well, I would scratch one-man gang being... Oh, see, this is the only time you'll ever hear one-man gang outrank stunning Steve Austin in any sort of a list. See, I like one-man gang, man. One-man gang did a lot for a big man. Next, it's time for the natural to meet the computerized man, as they call him. But before that happens, Polly has the mic. It's time for the danger zone. You get it? The danger zone. I got it. He's Polly dangerously. And it's the danger zone. Jason Hervey, which, wow, foreshadowing here. Eric Bischoff's co-investor almost bought WCW years later. The guy that... Does all those reality shows with Eric Bischoff, Jason Hervey from The Wonder Years. Not uh, Kevin, I forgot his name from The Wonder Years. I gotta look it up. I am lost, because I did not know who this guy was. Wayne. Wayne from The Wonder Years. Do you remember the show The Wonder Years? I never watched The Wonder Years. Well, it's on Netflix now, so when you get a chance, get a Netflix subscription. That's what I should have gotten you for I have one, actually. Okay. So... The Wonder Years is on there. He played the older brother okay. to Fred Savage on The Wonder Years, and that's what he was Apparently, known for. at this point in time, he was dating... That was storyline. Oh, okay. Yes, I don't think I don't think this 18 or 19-year-old Jason Hervey would really want to be with Missy Hyatt at this, this time. Why not? Everybody else has. Well, that's basically what Polly dangerously implies, because... He would ask questions to Hervey, like, what's it like to be on a big show? And before Hervey can answer, he'd take the mic back from him. He was doing the what I like to call the uh, the Roddy Popper. Just, Just when, when you, you think you have all the answers, I change the questions. That's what, yeah, that was basically what Polly Dangerously was doing here. Polly says he'll draw up a prenup for Hervey because, you know, he's going to marry Missy Hyatt. Every 19-year-old kid knows who they're going to marry. But then Jason reminds Polly that he got his butt kicked by a woman. Which I guess was Missy Hyatt or Medusa. I don't know. Uh, Missy Hyatt. Okay. I do believe. If everything in your life is new, how come your girlfriend is used merchandise? Paul E. calls Missy Hyatt used merchandise. It might have been Medusa, but either way. Polly attacks Hervey with the phone. Breaks it in half he over He broke that. that thing over the back of his head. Missy runs down. To save Jason Hervey, not a very... If I was a 19, 18, 19-year-old kid, I don't want to be saved by a woman. Yeah. It's the first time... It's the first of two times tonight where a child will be saved by a woman, basically. So, Missy runs down behind... Hyman. No, there's no Hyman near Missy Hyatt. Paul Heyman gets away. 
And then JR and Tony replay the phone attack. And that ends the segment. Oh, please leave that in there. <laughs> yes, it's the natural Dustin Rhodes. He's out next to take on Terry Taylor, who's out with Mr. Hughes. And who's the woman with him? Do you remember? I do. That is Terry Reynolds. Really? That is Terry Reynolds. So she's already going against Gold Dust here in... Yes. 1991. Wow. That is a very young teenage Terry Reynolds. Rhodes clotheslines Taylor into the corner, gets a two count, and then Taylor bails outside. Alexandra is her name. Alexandra comforts Terry Taylor and then gets him back into the ring. The York Foundation say they are naming a new member tonight. We'll have to see who that is, as Terry Taylor is part of the York Foundation. The What is the York Foundation, Patrick? Do you remember this at all? That's her last name, actually. Okay. Alexandra so York. Okay. And she has she runs the York Foundation. So you with you you got it now? It's like the Heart Foundation. There you go. Dustin lands an atomic drop, whips Taylor to the turnbuckle, charges at him, but Taylor ducks and Dustin goes flailing to the outside. Taylor hits Dustin's head into the guardrail before suplexing him back into the ring. Taylor executes a gut wrench powerbomb, but Dustin kicks out at two. We get a battle of a backslide, but Dustin wins and only gets a two count on Taylor. Dustin hits a dusty bionic elbow and does the corner punches on Taylor and punches him basically into the ground of the mat, like starts up at the top turnbuckle and then punches him all he the way down. He doesn't stop till he's basically on his back in the corner. Yes. Dustin hits an inverted atomic drop on the red rooster and the then he gets a bulldog. But Mr. Hughes distracts the ref. Dustin punches him, gives him the bionic elbow, but then Richard Morton comes in and heel turns and stomps the shit out of Dustin. And Dustin picks up the DQ win in 421 as... Basically, the York Foundation's new member was revealed, but then we had to reveal it later on, too. We had to make it official. Right. We had to have a swearing-in ceremony. He's just the York Foundation member-elect. He's not the official member. See, at this point in time, I'm thinking, holy crap, the Rock and Roll Express is turning bad. You know? Yeah, that would have actually been probably a better direction to go in than splitting them up. Yeah, is Gibson in on this? We'll have to wait and see. But Big Josh comes out to rescue Dustin. He's got his stick with him again, his axe handle. And he makes the heels run away and saves Dustin. So there you go, a partnership forming between Big Josh and Dustin Rhodes. Coming soon to an arena near you, Johnny B. Bad, who I still think is underrated. No. You hate Johnny B. Bad so much. No, I hate Mark Marrow. Well, Mark Merrow is Johnny B. Bad. It's, it's not the character Johnny. Well, the, Johnny, the character of Johnny B. Bad is terrible as well. No, I just don't like Mark Merrow, period. Sting versus Nikita Koloff is next. Tony and JR remind us that this feud started a super brawl when Nikita hit Sting with a chain after Sting saved Luger from being hit with it. Yeah, the Russian sickle, which is a modified clothesline, and he had his arm wrapped up with the, the chain and, and nailed him. Busted him wide open. Sting saving his friend. Sting, Stupid Sting, always saving his friends. Sting and Nikita brawled after the match when Tony tried to interview them, so that's the setup for this. What really could have been, you know, next to the main event. It's weird that this was in the middle of the card. Yeah, I, was, I would have thought this would have been semi-main as well. Koloff is out first. Sting is out next. 
he's serious this time. He's just carrying his jacket. He's not going to showboat. He just runs right to the ring. It, it was almost like a John Cena entrance because he started out slow and he, then he, he ran. Was, yeah, he was wearing it and he turns around and just kind of shrugs his shoulders, takes it off, and he bolts it to the ring. To, to the extent that he trips over the ropes as he tries to slide in through the second and third rope. Koloff hits a scoop slam and a shoulder block. Koloff throws Sting out of the ring and chucks him against the guardrails. Sting hits a pile driver on Koloff when they get back into the ring, which Koloff no-sells. He stands right up after a pile driver. Koloff tombstone Sting, which I said looked amazing because Sting just crumbled. Oh, it was bad, yeah. I thought he killed him. It was ugly. It was beautiful. Yeah. Sting kicks out of this tombstone at two and a half. This is probably why Sting has neck problems now. (laughs) Koloff spends the next few minutes decimating Sting with strikes. Koloff tries another tombstone, but Sting reverses it into one of his own. Sort of no-sells it. He stumbles back to his feet, eats strikes and chops from Sting, who is firing up. Stinger Splash misses, and and then Koloff misses the Russian sickle and gets rolled up for the three. Sting gets the win here at 9.32, and Sting doesn't stick around to see what happens. He runs to the back. No celebrating here. Yeah, that's not a bad idea because that was that was one mad, angry Russian. Yes, I thought this was a really great match. That was a great match. Yeah, I would I would say this is as it sits right now. This is match of the night. Salt and Peppa walk out with PN News to talk with Tony. Yo, baby, yo, baby, yo. I'll put PN News's rap in here <laughs> so you can all enjoy PN News rapping. I'm PN News here to let you know. I'm here to bum rush this show. I'm from the streets, not doing crime. That's why I crush sucker wrestlers all the time. My name is News, and I'm on the attack. Check me out later, because I'll be back. Yo, baby, yo, baby, yo. All right, the rap master fan is. What about this guy? You talk about red hot in world championship wrestling around the world. Then Johnny B. Bad comes out with Teddy Long. Teddy claims Bad is the actual rap master. No, he's not. <laughs> Johnny B. Bad calls him ugly. Two ugly men here Johnny B. Bad and yeah. PN News. Who is PN News? I did not know, I did not recognize him through his giant sunglasses. I, I don't know who PN News was. His real name was Paul New, and he had a run in ECW in 1999 under the same ring name, PN News. So this guy really had a long career. In fact, he was still wrestling up through 2012, so this guy's still around. Which, by looking at him, you probably couldn't have convinced me that if uh, you didn't read it on the internet. Because he was not in very good shape. You can't believe everything you read on the internet. That, well, so. it's, that is true. Except what you hear here at the Retro Wrestling Podcast. Yeah, because we are 100% true and honest 24-7. When Johnny B. Bad calls PN News ugly, he gets shoved. Then Johnny B. Bad walks out, and that's the end of the segment. Yeah, pretty much. That was it. Made no sense. Coming soon, the Diamond Stud, Scott Hall. But up first, loser leaves WCW, another retirement match. Yeah. 
We are going through a lot of retirement matches here on uh, Retro Wrestling Podcast, and this is another one that uh, wouldn't last very long. Arn and Barry Windham are out first, and then it's El Gigante and Flying Brian, which I assume were just paired together because of the dynamic by looking at these two men standing next to each other. David and Goliath. Yes. Giant man, the most giant man ever, and then little Brian Pillman. Flying Brian Pillman. At at this point in time, I think he was the shortest in WCW. So, probably that might been that might have been why they yeah. This feud stems from Wrestle War when El Gigante helped Flying Brian. So there you go. That's why they teamed up. Wyndham hits a nasty botched looking DDT to Flying Brian. It's like Brian Pillman dove for the DDT before it was executed, so it looked really nasty. And Barry Wyndham gets a two count for it. Pillman cleans house and springboards to Arn, who is on the outside of the ring. El Gigante chokes Arn when he returns to the ring. Then El Gigante rocket launches Pillman off his shoulders. What an amazing visual this was. This was the real reason they were paired together, was this one single move. So he rocket launches Pillman off his shoulders to Wyndham. Which should have been the end of the match right there. Yeah, when Wyndham gets hit with this his flying crossbody basically off of El Gigante's shoulders, but Arn breaks the pin attempt. Then Pillman goes upstairs to try it again, but not off the shoulders, this time just off the turnbuckle. But Barry Windham hits him before he can do it, hits a big boot on Pillman, and Pillman's WCW career comes to an end in three minutes and eight seconds as he takes the pinfall, and it's yet another El Gigante match where El Gigante doesn't get in the ring. Yeah. When is this guy going to wrestle? I don't WrestleMania know. nine against the Undertaker. We have that to wait was for it, it because I don't think the man ever had a got physical in a match other than that match. We need to look this up. He's always in tag matches that way he doesn't have to actually work. Yeah, yeah. Vince got the raw end of the deal on whoever sold him on. Yeah, you need to you need to go ahead and hire this guy. So Polly Dangerously is back. He has a Great American Bash report for us, which recaps the Great American Bash from 1990, which conveniently we recapped just a couple weeks ago. So you can skip this segment. Yes. He only shows like two highlights anyway. He shows the Wild-Eyed Southern Boys match ending, and he shows Flair and Sting, and that's it. There was other stuff that happened that night. That was a big night, yeah. Not too much else that was really memorable, but other things did happen. The IWGP Tag Team title match is is next. The IWGP Tag Team titles from Japan are going to be on the line here in Knoxville, USA. It's the Steiners who won them at the Japan Super Show, which is playable in 2K17, that arena. That, it is. That Super Show arena. They are the IWGP Tag Team Champions as well as the WCW Tag Team Champions, but the WCW titles aren't on the line even though we're at a WCW event, so... Only the IWGP titles are on the line. This is only the uh, the first time that the IWGP tag titles were defended on U.S. soil. Wow. So. Hiroshi Hase and Masahiro Chono are out first. If you don't remember Chono, he was actually a member NWO of NWO Japan. Yeah. Well, and a regular NWO, too. Right. Kinsuke Suzaki was supposed to be in the match, but was replaced by Chono for whatever reason. The Steiner brothers are out next. Scott Steiner is going to start with Hase. Hase insiguris them out of the ring. Steiner sells this insiguri and tumbles out of the ring. 
Ase, a former Olympic Greco-Roman wrestler from the Olympics in the 80s. Scott lands a fireman's carry suplex on Hase, but then tags in Rick. Rick is going to take on Chono. Chono lands a massive big boot that breaks Rick Steiner's headgear. He boots him so hard, he breaks Rick Steiner's headgear. Yeah. I've never seen that happen before. No. Steiner hits a Steiner line that slows Chono down for a while. Then Scott tags in and puts him on his shoulders so that Rick can deliver an elbow from the top turnbuckle. Another great... That was ugly too, man. Because you talk about crumble. He just crumbled underneath that elbow. It was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Hase tags back in and hits a fireman's carry slam on Rick. Chono tags in for a top rope shoulder breaker on Rick. Then a fallaway slam and Chono locks in the STF, which was a relatively new move for American audiences because JR sat there and explained it to us. Scott, meanwhile, snaps suplexes Hase, who's on the outside. Scott tries to break up the STF with a top turnbuckle move, but slips off. And misses completely. And then has to crawl over and break up the STF. Yeah, uh, a, I would say a rare botch, but these guys are pretty reckless. And yeah. Scott especially yeah. uh, botches a lot. Scott and Hase get the hot tags. We get a Steiner line to Hase, followed by a tilt-a-whirl slam, a double underhook power bomb. Then he sets Hase in the top turnbuckle and belly-to-bellies him off the top. Chono breaks up the pin attempt, though. Hase full Nelson Scott Steiner on his head. Then Chono runs Rick off, so it looks like the heels are going to win here. The Japanese double clothesline, Scott. Then the network version of this pay-per-view. The network version of this Clash of the Champions gets wonky here. It looks like it switches to an old VHS tape. Did you notice that? Yeah, it's uh, it's because this moment actually has been recorded over so many times that the actual original copy was wore out there. And, uh, and so it's been burned over to create DVDs and things like that that... Well, WCW did a bad job archiving their tapes, so yeah. this would make sense that this happened. But it's only for the ending in this match until we go to commercial. Yeah. We get a Frankensteiner on Hase, and Scott Steiner wins in 8-14. Then Dick Murdoch and Dirty Dick Slater run in. Then they run in and beat up everybody. Uh, well, the Japanese get out of the ring, so it's mainly the Steiners that yeah, they tore through them. Take, the, uh, take the beating. Scott tore his bicep in this match. Really? No, you couldn't notice it. You wouldn't notice it at all. He finished the match. And, I mean, if it happened during the beatdown, it's hard to tell where. And, uh, it probably happened when he when he slipped and fell off that top rope. Yeah, so Scott Steiner was injured here, and that's they would miss the Great American Bash 91. So a big uh, a big loss for WCW, their, their top tag team. And the IWGP tag team as well are yeah. out of commission because of this uh, bicep tear. Diamond Stud is out next with Diamond Dallas Page. If you don't know who the Diamond Stud is, hey yo, yeah, it's it's Scott Hall. But proceed. It's Scott Hall. Diamond Stud is out next with Diamond Dallas Page. He'll be taking on Tommy Rich, who has no entrance. He is the jobber. Yeah, wildfire Tommy Rich, former world heavyweight champion. Yeah, I guess is already in the ring. Yeah. yeah, already in the ring. Wildfire Tommy Rich. DDP says he's looking for a studette. He's got a stud at in the ring, and he's looking for the full-time diamond diamond doll, yeah. I guess. And the studette's job is to rip the clothes off of Scott Hall. Hey yo! But then I notice here, Diamond Stud threw his toothpick at the camera. Yes. So all of this bullshit that the WWE always tells us about, like, oh, we had to sue him because he was using the Razor Ramon gimmick when he came back with the NWO. 
can you tell me what exactly other than him saying Chico? Yeah. Outside of saying the word Chico. Yeah. What exactly yeah. was lifted from Razor Ramon when he came back? Not a damn thing. In '96, because he even did the toothpick throw. Yeah. Hall hits his his uh, shitty looking choke slam. We get a sidewalk slam. He tries a Vader bomb, but gets knees to the gut for his trouble. Then Hall calls for the Diamond Death Drop, which is the Razor's Edge. Yeah. And gets the win in a minute fifty nine seconds. Triple Just triple D's. Triple. Oh, I get it. <laughs> I was going to say, did you get it? I get it now. Okay. Thank you. Okay. JR introduces the winner of the Sting Lookalike Contest, who, oh, just happens to be from Knoxville. What are the odds of that? Yeah. Weird that the Sting match already happened earlier in the night, I thought, because, like, what if Sting had gotten his ass kicked and, you know, got sent off in an ambulance? Yeah. This contest winner wouldn't get to meet his hero. So this kid is wearing face paints with JR, and JR says, well, you're going to get to meet your hero. Here comes Sting, who has on... What are the odds, Patrick? The exact same face paint as the kid. (laughs) Who thought? And it's different from earlier, too. Yeah, it's brand new paint. Yeah. He went and repainted his face after the match. So this is a work, is what it... Basically. Yes, this is a work. So Sting comes out to meet the kid, who does a good job acting about being excited to meet Sting. He's got a big smile on his face. Yeah. Sting puts him up on his shoulders and just tells JR it's all for the Stingers, all the Stingers around the world. Well, just look, just look at his face, look at mine. I'm only human, I mean, this would make anybody feel good. Let me just pick him up like that. I mean, you know, this right here gets me excited and makes me feel good. High five, man, yeah. I'll tell you, hey, wait a minute, wait. Oh, that's three. Come on. Come on. But then while Sting is being a good Samaritan, granting this kid's wish, his dream come true, that evil asshole, Nikita Koloff, <laughs> just will not let this go and sneak attack Sting while he's holding a child. That is yeah. among, I mean, if the only way it could be more heelish is, is if Sting was holding a baby instead yeah. of like a grown, like a, t- a 10-year-old or whatever. Yeah. So Koloff sneak attacks him, hits him with the chain and beats him down. And then just to be a jerk, he wipes the face paint off of Sting. Yeah. He takes the face paint off of him. And then he looks at the kid like he's going to beat the kid up. <laughs> and this kid's mother. Mom. Yeah, mother in quotation marks, <laughs> whose security just happens to allow to hop over the, the uh, yeah. guardrail. To- gets in between Sting and, or gets in between uh, the kid and Nikita. And right. And then Nikita is scared off, I guess, by this kid's mom. Like, oh, I'm not messing with mom. Yeah, I'll beat yeah. up Sting. Yeah, don't mess with mom. So then Nikita uh, hoofs it. And then the kid, Runs being, over to Sting. being the trained medical <laughs> professional that he is, walks over to see if Sting is okay. But he's he's grabbing Sting by the throat and shaking him, and I'm like, let him breathe. You're choking him. You must, if you watch this, you must take time to actually enjoy this segment. Yeah, yes. enjoy this segment, because you will laugh your ass off. Sign up for the Bruise Cruise, Patrick. You want to go on some Bruise Cruise? Oh, could you imagine being stuck on a boat with uh, Buff Bagwell and Johnny B. Bad for three months? Can you imagine being stuck on a boat with Ric Flair? I don't think he's doing the Bruise Cruise. Now, he would advertise it. This is is more bait-and-switch bullshit from WCW. So in this commercial, (laughs) you might see Ric Flair, and you might think, oh, this would be wild. The Steiners. uh, Yeah, all the big stars. When you actually get on the boat, who's there? It'd be like, uh, you know... 
I'm Marcus Alexander Bagwell. What was that uh, name they had? Oh, Johnny Flamingo. You know, it'd be like all the jobbers are on this boat with you. Because I'm sure they didn't get paid for being there. I'm sure they just got a free boat ride. No, they got paid for it. I doubt that. Yeah, WWF tried doing the same thing, and uh, and WWF got the guys got paid for for being a part of the the trip. The winner of this next match coming up gets a title shot at Great American Bash. The Great Muda is going to take on Lex Luger for a shot at Flair or whoever the champ is. Depending on tonight's out, it might be. You know, beautiful Bobby Eaton they face at Great yeah. American Bash. So, whoever wins gets the next title shot. U.S. Champ Lex Luger is out. He is looking very jacked here. I think he forgot his U.S. belt. He did not have. No, it he had him. it with him. Oh, he did. Okay. He handed it off midway up or midway to the ring. Muda is out. He's breathing his green mist shit that every Japanese wrestler has to have in the nineties. Luger no-sells a chop and then poses. He hits a belly-to-back on Muda for a two-count. A scoop slam misses, and then he misses an elbow. Hold on. No, he hits a scoop slam and then misses an elbow. Luger press-slams Muda. Muda slows Luger down with a back spin kick. Then Muda tries a handspring elbow like the one that China used to do. Two Lex Luger in the corner, but Luger moves. Luger moves. And Muda goes time. crashes to the outside. I want to take time on that. If you watch it slowly, Luger moves. And I don't know if it was planned for Luger to move or not because Muda completely misses. Doesn't touch the ropes. Doesn't touch it. He flat backs onto the concrete. Yeah, it takes a big bump for nothing here. It was ugly. Muda hits Luger with the green mist, which Luger no-sells. This no, man he, cannot be blinded. He got his arm, he got his arm up over his eyes. So. Oh, bullshit. He got his arm... Well, go back and watch it, brother. He got his arm up over his eyes. He no-sells the green mist to the face, hits a power slam, and somehow wins this match in 3 minutes, 42 seconds. He is now your number one contender for Great American Bash 1991, which would fall apart as Ric Flair would be taking his belt and leaving within yes. the next couple of weeks. And then right after that, so would, Rick, or so would uh, Lex Luger. Well, a year later. Was it even? Was it not even year? quite a it year? It wasn't even a full year. It was yeah, because the Super Brawl was his yeah swan song. So yes, instead of getting Ric Flair, he would get Barry Windham in a cage. This whole Great American Bash card really fell apart from what they were promoting on this show. Yeah, stunning Steve Austin is coming soon to an arena near you. I wish he still was. That would be great. Stunning Steve is in the ring when we return from commercial. Joey Mags. He's in the ring, yes. He'll be facing jumping Joey Mags. Who in the hell is Joey Mags? He was in WCW for quite a while, a jobber guy. Uh, he actually uh, was a Diamond Dallas Page uh, manager type for a little oh, while, okay. for a very brief period. But that's all I know him from, really. Or a cup of coffee for sure. A cup of coffee. And this match lasted shorter than a cup of coffee because... <laughs> The match starts. And he, go. <laughs> he gets whipped to the ropes. Stunning Steve Austin hits a stun gun and gets the win in 22 seconds. It nearly took me as long as it did to... Call it. Yeah. That, that's what happens. A stun gun and a match is over in 22 seconds. Is, I guess Steve Austin is fairly new here. Is this... No. I mean, this... Then why is this happening? Because this, this is still the Dangerous Alliance, or... He's not in the Dangerous Alliance yet, I don't think. 
dangerous alliance had already kind of formed and had fallen apart and now then it comes back together again am i right or am i wrong on that i don't know i don't know i didn't do my homework anyway long story short he goldbergs the hell out of this guy Austin was actually the television champion, but the episode where he wins it from Beautiful Bobby hadn't aired on television yet, so he couldn't carry the belt out to the ring. So, back in the old days when the the tapings wouldn't air before the live events. So, yeah. Uh, Lady Blossom is with Austin. Did you know this was Austin's wife? This was Austin's real wife, yes. They had two kids together, and she helped him create Stone Cold Steve Austin, the character. Yeah, she's a good friend of mine, actually, yes. She uh, she still does quite a bit with wrestling. Uh, she just had a book come out. Yes. It's called Through the Shattered Glass. Yes. She took the kids and moved to London, basically, after divorcing, after the divorce with Austin, took the kids to London, so... I remember vaguely hearing about custody problems back in the day with uh, Mr. Austin. But she also, she had other wrestling husbands. Austin was her third wrestling husband because she had already been married to Billy Jack Haynes. Really? And then someone else. I didn't know that. Yeah, so. Austin had a thing for wrestling women. She was with him ever since his beginning, though, even in uh, in, in, uh, Dallas. In, uh, in Texas. So speaking. She was, she was with him ever since the get-go. Speaking of Billy Jack Haynes, coming soon, Black Blood, which is Billy Jack Haynes dressed in a mask that looks like Kane, yeah. sort of, in a really weird way. So we'll just have and, to... And what was the whole deal about putting the, the black mask on their head and then jumping? He goes to the top rope and he dropped a knee on their head as it was covered with the mask is... <laughs> oh, so brutal! We had to cover it up before he did the move. And anyway, Censor it was it. it was a good gimmick. Didn't last long, but it was a good gimmick for Billy Jack. Up next, the York Foundation adds a member. Well, we already saw who it was. Surprise! It's Richard Morton. Richard says it's the greatest day in his life. Then Robert Gibbs, or is it Robert Gibson? Gibson. Robert Gibson tries to talk some sense into his old partner. Hey, hey, man! What what are you doing? <laughs> I'm 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 cleared from the doctors now. I'm good to go. Hey, it's just business, brother. <laughs> Clothesline. Yeah. Punches to the face. Then out of nowhere. And then Pyle drives him, but Dustin Rhodes runs down to make the save. So there you have it. Yeah. A big feud heating up here between Big Josh and Dustin and the York Foundation and Robert Gibson. Now Robert Gibson. So... If you were thinking it was the Rock and Roll Express joining, you were wrong. It this was is, just one Richard Morton. No, this leads up to their mash. Uh, this leads up to their match at Great American Bash. Basically, the Mega Powers explode, you know, in a yeah. small way where Morton and Gibson will duel it out. This is one match that did come through. Yeah, on the card. I don't know if it was any good. Hopefully, we never have to watch it. But we'll <laughs> see. The world title match is next. Beautiful Bobby is out first. This is a two out of three falls match. A cool stipulation to have on a TV card that you're getting for free to have any sort of stipulation on this match. This was this, man. I'm calling it right here. This is match of the night, bar none. This match is awesome. I thought Sting and Koloff delivered more. Really? Yeah, sorry. This was still pretty good. This was... 20, 15, 20 minutes of 
pure greatness. Yeah, because it's it's your favorite wrestler. Of course, you're gonna feel that. No, your I'm not favorite. saying that because of it being Bobby Eaton. I'm not saying it because it's Ric Flair. I'm saying it's because it told a story from each pinfall, all three, all three falls. It was very well done. The champion Ric Flair is out next. He's in his nice gold robe. He looks rather disinterested coming out. I guess he's thinking about his. Uh, I guess Jim Hurd probably pitched him the Spartacus idea right before he watched, walked through the curtain, and so that's why he's got he did, this. He did look a little pissed, didn't he? Yeah. Bobby slaps Flair out of his boots, basically. I mean, he falls to the ground from a slap from Bobby Eaton. They're real hesitant to lock up at first, but then Bobby clotheslines Flair outside of the ring. Flair regroups for a while. He's really got. He really underestimated this Bobby Eaton character. I love... Okay, first of all, timeout. This is 91, okay? Bobby Eaton's been in the business almost, I'll say, 10 years, easy. And made his debut, actually trained, learned, right down the road from our radio station, not even a block away, is where he trained and learned how to be a professional wrestler. And so, but yet you still have JR saying this kid I, I, that one I didn't understand. This gray-haired man. Yeah. yeah, can you explain that one to me? Mm-hmm. And he's, he was a walking legend already at this point in time of this match. But JR kept calling him this kid, this young kid, and I, I couldn't understand that. Flair gets back in, in the ring and throws chops and punches to Bobby in the corner. Big chops. Big Ric Flair chops. They were big. You lit him up. But Bobby responds with some very hard strikes of his own. Then Flair does his flare cell where he where he falls flat on his face, and then he takes a back body drop. He begs for forgiveness from Bobby, but he doesn't thumb him in the eye. I was really disappointed that we didn't get the thumb to the eye. Bobby locks in an arm triangle-type rest hold on Flair on the ground. Starts flipping with it. Yes, Flair has to avoid getting pinned, and they just keep rolling through this hold. Almost sort of like uh, MMA-like, because you see this sometimes in MMA. Yeah, Yeah, it was very impressive. Flair bails outside and Bobby goes to chase him. JR mentions that Bobby should have let him just get counted out. Snapmare to Bobby and Flair's signature knee to the head. Then Flair hits a double underhook suplex for a two count. I was shocked that Flair did a move this complex. Then he tries a pin with his feet on the ropes, but referee Nick Patrick, he catches him and breaks it up. Nick was was on his game so far. Yeah, this wouldn't continue in Nick Patrick's career through the 90s. No. Unfortunately. Bobby and Flair exchange some more strikes, and Flair tries going off the top rope, which always works out well for him. Bobby <laughs> slams him off of it. We get a Flair flip, and then Bobby knocks Flair to the floor. Bobby lands a backbreaker and swinging neckbreaker, a scoop slam, and then he goes upstairs for the Alabama jam, hits it, and gets the first fall. One, two, three. We get a 30-second rest period so that Flair can recover. Then Bobby tries a backslide as soon as the bell rings and gets a two and a half count. Which on that's Flair. smart. That's yeah, smart. don't give him yeah. time to regroup. Once that thirty seconds is up, go right back after him. So Bobby lands another swinging neck breaker. Then he goes upstairs. He's gonna try the Alabama jam again. I mean, it worked once. What could go wrong? He goes upstairs for the Alabama jam, but Ric Flair he sends him to the floor. Stumbles up to his feet and just grabs the ropes and shakes it and. Bobby goes down. And when Bobby goes down to the floor outside, his knee hits the mat, which JR keeps saying is the concrete floor. It is not the concrete floor. It's the mat, but nevertheless, Bobby 
sells his injured knee, which will really help a guy with a finishing move, which is a leg lock. Yeah. So how convenient for Mr. Flair. His knee is hurt so bad, Patrick, he gets counted out. He can't get in the ring in 10 yeah. seconds. So now we're tied 2-2. Two 1-1. To two. One to one. Or 1-1, one one, sorry, yeah. Flair goes out. Now this is where Flair fucks up, in my opinion, because when the bell re-rings again, when the bell rings again, why not just let him get counted out again? Flair goes out instead and, and rolls him back into the ring. Yeah. That's a face thing to do to want to win the honorable way. Yeah. So anyway, Flair gets him, brings him back into the ring. Bobby superplexes Ric Flair off of the top turnbuckle, and this only garners a two count. Flair drops Eaton on his leg and locks him in the figure four with help from the leverage from the ropes, but Nick Patrick catches him again. He is just not going to let this man cheat. But he tries again, and then Bobby, remembering Great American Bash 1990, tries the Sting way to win the match and small packages Ric Flair from the figure four attempt, but it only gets a two and a half. Rick's got it scouted now. He, yeah. He's he's in on it now. Flair goes back to the figure four, and Flair's got it locked in very tight, and he grabs the ropes to add leverage. Bobby, Bobby fights it. Bobby fights it so hard, Patrick, to get out. But he can't do it. He can't. He, he gives out. He falls. His back gives out yeah, he from falls, trying to fight it. Falls down, and then the ref catches him sleeping on a one, two, three. 15 minutes, 53 seconds. Your winner and still champion, but not for much longer because he'll leave with the belt, Ric Flair. Flair walks out with the belt, and we get Tony and JR. Instead of talking about this really good title match, they just talk about Sting and Nikita Koloff. Yeah, I don't understand that. See you Saturday morning on Power Hour, and we are out. Clash of the Champions 15. I thought you picked a very, very good card. Congratulations. Yeah. I really, really Thank enjoyed you. this. I love to watch this over and over again. This was uh, two hours uh, yeah. with commercials, so it was probably three on television with the commercials. This is the way you do television. Yeah. Wrestling, in my opinion, because, yeah, there were a lot of insignificant matches. There were a lot of jobber matches. There were a lot of matches with fuck finishes. But, but you didn't see him go past more than five minutes. So, and I wasn't bogged down with backstage segments. Right. Very few promos, which most of the time I would say annoys me, but the ones that did happen had a purpose, had a reason to happen. This thing was just booked very well. Unfortunately, the one thing I'll say that I thought really hurt the main event, this crowd was dead for the main event. Yeah. It's unfortunate because it's probably because they didn't see Bobby as a viable contender. Because this was more this felt like a house show main event where everyone's kind of in on it that this belt's really not going to change hands here. Even though Bobby's the TV champion or whatever he was at the time. You know, because they hadn't shown that he lost the belt yet. Yeah. But I just felt like the crowd was really dead for the match. Like, even even at the most pivotal pivotal times in the match, and this crowd should really be behind Bobby because Midnight Express, Smoky Mountain Wrestling... Chattanooga, the South, everything, you know, yeah. Bobby being from Alabama, I really thought that the crowd would get behind him. But. Yeah, if you're going to do a main event match with Bobby Eaton, Chattanooga, Chattanooga or Knoxville is the place to do it because other than Huntsville, Alabama, that is, that's Bobby Eaton. That's that's Bobby Eaton country. And, uh, and I was shocked. I agree. I was shocked that there wasn't more of a a cheer or a or – a, 
reaction of any kind. But uh, I think the match delivered, man. The match was great. One of Bobby Eaton's greatest matches of all time. And uh, Yeah, I thought it was it was really good. I thought, I mean, Bobby had to slow down a little for Flair. I yeah. mean, Flair's style is definitely not like Bobby Eaton's style. And, and Flair doesn't know that many wrestling moves. He's, I mean, he's the greatest of all time, but he's not the greatest technician of all time. Yeah. You know, it's just everything else about him. And, and what he does do, he does very well. Yeah, I thought it was a very good match. I wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't have put it on pay-per-view, uh, but for a free match on TV, you, I can't complain. Yeah. Uh, they... And like I said, the crowd was partially dead because, you know, there's not, there wasn't as much TV as there is now. They couldn't build Bobby up as a credible contender. You know, this was just tune in and see who we put against Flair, basically, you know, yeah. like not some long build, not some conclusion of a, of a storyline feud or something. So for what I thought was like a half show main event, I thought it really delivered. And I thought the Sting Nikita Koloff match was really good. Uh, the rest of the card, match quality, I'm, I mean, they were just short, simple yeah. match. Not a lot to really say about them. But I thought... I th- they didn't annoy me, though. On a side note, Tennessee is, is Rock and Roll Express country as well when it comes to tag teams. And to turn Ricky Morton heel in, in Knoxville, in Smoky Mountain Wrestling Territory, and so on and so forth, that was pretty pretty ingenious, I thought. So, the storylines from this that carried into Great American Bash that actually paid off was Koloff and Sting. That had a payoff. Richard Morton and Robert Gibson. That's pretty much it. PN News didn't even take on Johnny B. Bad. Really? So, a lot of these ended up going nowhere. Yeah. But as far as... For, for what the show was, though, it was a really good show, I thought. Oh, yeah. Was, I mean, excellent. I just wish that... Like we're watching Raw right now. I mean, yeah, it just gets bogged down. So it just slows. So it gets so slow. It yeah. drags so much. This never dragged. Yeah, this never dragged. It's an easy watch. Yeah, you get to see Bobby Eaton main event. I mean, you can't say that you know main event a world title match. Yeah. So that's the added bonus to it. So on our rating scale, Patrick of Hornswoggle to El Gigante. Well, I'm a little biased because this is my this is. Like your final four, this is my, this is one of my few go-tos. So uh, I'm going Giant El Gigante, Giant Gonzalez. I'm going all the way to the top, brother. Wow, that's very, I mean, it's very early in our reviewing career to be handing out this perfect score. But like you said, even that, it's an easy watch. It's a great card. I'm going to give this a diamond stud, a six foot seven. Man, it's a very, it's very good because it's an easy watch. It's just, uh, it's simple. Yeah. You don't have to do a lot of thinking. It's it's presented in a very much like real sports kind of, uh, if you wanted to just sample WCW from this time and you didn't want to make the commitment to a pay-per-view, I would suggest watching something like this because this pretty much has all the characters, the the crew basically of early 90s WCW. Minus a Dusty Rhodes. Yeah. So there you have it. Or a Ricky Steamboat. All right. Or Rick Rude. So there are a few big faces missing from this. Well, that was your pick this week, Patrick. And Where are you taking me to, bro? 
as much as I complained about not doing these three-hour pay-per-views and getting away from WCW, I stumbled upon a jewel last week that a diamond in the rough, if you will, a... I'm going to keep us in WCW, sadly. I know we've done a lot we've of WCW. We've done WC- a lot of WCW. We're very WCW heavy, but that's because there's so much, the few highlights we've already picked out, I think, of WCW. Yeah. You know, we've already done Goldberg, Yeah. the Nitro. We've already done Sting's two big title wins. Yeah. We have kind of already blown through some of the biggest moments. Some of. There's a few. There's still a few in my bag I'm waiting to pull out. So. Yes. But I want to do... Some so bad it's good WCW, and that's why we will head to the year 1999 for Bash at the Beach 1999, a card that is so bad it's good. You will greatly enjoy the Junkyard Invitational. You'll enjoy David Flair wrestling, and you'll enjoy Roddy Piper and Buff Bagwell in a boxing match. A fantastic assortment of WCW bullshit. (laughs) I remember that. All rolled into one. It's, I mean, it's beyond (laughs) bad. And that's what makes it okay. Yeah, it is. This is, you're right. This is so bad, it's funny. It's good. So, So, WCW, Bash at the Beach, 1999. I was going to uh, maybe take us to an old Royal Rumble since that's coming up, but, uh, you know, it's still a month out. We're yeah, still a month we're out. We're still a month so away, so we got We've time. got plenty of Rumbles to get to. And, uh, you know, I'm still, I'm just not, I'm not ready to get into ECW stuff yet. It just doesn't feel right uh, yet, uh, but we, we will get there, and we'll get back to WWF, and maybe we'll get into other stuff that we can find videos of, or yeah. TNA, or uh, other stuff, some old... Uh, Maybe hardcore homecoming one day or yeah. some tournament of death. You know, all that stuff is, yeah. is down the road. But I'm going to keep us kicking and screaming, dragging us back to WCW for Bash the Beach 99. And there and there you have it. The first retro wrestling podcast in the year 2017. Wow. Just amazing stuff, man. It's crazy, man. So that'll do it for us. I'm intern Alex. I'm the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always, my closing line's a clothesline. And bingo, bango. Hey, what was the deal with Bobby Eaton back uh, when we were in WCW? Me and Bobby Eaton and Dustin Rhodes. Yeah, center stage. There's one of those hallways back there. We always used to dress back there. And, you know, Bobby Eaton always used to travel with that duffel bag. Yeah. And he always, it was like a convenience store. And, you know, Bobby, you know, he gets like, God damn it. Boy, what you need? A toothbrush? Oh, I got a toothbrush. You know, toothpaste. I mean, a bubble gum, uh, a sewing kit, uh, whatever you needed, Bobby had. He was one of the nicest guys in the history of the business. I don't know anybody that has anything bad to say about Bobby Eaton. He's one of the greatest workers of all time. But what was the deal with his bag? He had one of everything. Bobby liked to be prepared and he would carry these bags that looked like body bags that, yeah. you know, there were the hugest bags. Yeah. And I mean, especially when we were driving, but even flying, he would carry everything. He'd have five or six towels. He'd have, it yeah, used to he be always a game. Extra towels.
it it used to be a game. Some like the Steiners would go up and ask for off brand shit. Like, hey, Bobby, you got any silverware? And he'd come out with silverware. I mean, it just he always had everything. He was prepared for every eventuality, but at the same time, he would give it all away. I mean, one time we we worked Reunion Arena uh, in in Dallas when we were working for the Von Erichs, and we go to you remember at the time, even back in the eighties, that it was not the greatest neighborhood in some areas around Reunion Arena. That we found a beer store, a little convenience store. And, uh, you know, Bobby's going to go in and get his usual thing was Miller. You know, uh, Dennis might get some beer, might get some meat sticks. I'd get, you know, my daggum, you know, gas station sandwich and a Pepsi or whatever yeah. at that point. We get back in the car and there's all these bums hanging around. And, <laughs> and Bobby is in there forever and in there forever. And we're like, what the fuck? What the fuck? And finally he comes out. Some guys hit him with a hard luck story. He comes out with his arm around the guy. The guy was carrying, he had a brand new cigar in his mouth. He was carrying a bottle of whiskey and another bag of groceries. And Bobby was patting him on the back saying, good luck, brother. Good luck, fella. You know, and of course, then Bobby gets in the car and the the bum turned and started walking down the side of the convenience store. And you know, he was instantly mugged, you know, 15 feet away by all these other bums around to get all his shit. But Bobby could not, not, uh, buy somebody something or give somebody something or just, you know, help somebody out. 